Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that even if they don't know it, your family, your kids, your husband, your wife, your friends would rather you love Jesus more than them. Because the more you love him, the more you become like him, and everybody wants to be loved by someone who loves like Jesus loves us. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about this morning. Um, maybe don't have a, as much of a teaching message as I do some Sundays. Um, but I just was... I've been spending a lot of time lately thinking about the church, about our church, about the church, about outreach, what it looks like to pastor. And, and as our church grows, what that looks like. And, um, and I've realized that there's this, there's this tug on our lives, and I feel it sometimes where it's like as you grow, as a person, as you grow, as a church, as you grow, and whatever it is, there's all these things that you have to do, or, or you feel these responsibilities, or you feel this weight, or you feel this, this, you know, well, you have to do this now, and you have to do that now, and, and, and I just, I realized, like, if we're not careful, even good things can come in the way of, of the one thing that, that matters the most. And I was, I, I've sat and talked with a friend recently, and we were talking about a situation, and, and, and I, was, I was weeping talking to him and saying, but, but this is what God said, and this is what Jesus did, and, and I can't find what you're saying in the life of Jesus. And I was praying about that later, and I was like, God, what happens? How does that happen? How do we put formulas and, 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 and procedures and, and all these things in place that insulate us from loving people like you loved us? To where we would say, like, well, I, I know, but, and then give ourselves any kind of permission to act less than loving to people or to act less than you acted towards us when like when I read the word and I see like I'm the woman that was caught in adultery like that was me that was flung before Jesus and accused and then I see his response to me is to kneel down next to me and love me and defend me and and not condemn me and lift me up and and challenge me and send me off better than he found me. And I was, I just, I'm like, like I'm the Pharisee that, that if I don't receive revelation from the Father, I know everything, but I don't know him. Like seeing myself like that and then understanding like, and, and make, that causing me just to fall more and more in love with him and to, to just weep at the idea that, that he came for me and that he loved me and he laid his life down for me. And, and I just was thinking about all that stuff. And I'm like, God, when did we ever get to a place? How does this happen where, where we look at people and we don't respond to them the way you responded to us when we did far worse? 
And, and I felt like the Lord said, Roy, don't think this can't happen to you. And I just want to just challenge us as a church and just, I, it's so in my heart to say like, the only thing that matters is that we love him, that, he, that we know the love he has for us, and then that we become that to other people. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, on the last day, there's going to be people that say, well, we did this, you know, we prophesied, we healed, we did all these different things, and he's going to look at them, he's going to say, I, I don't know you. I never knew you. I honestly, like, I just during worship was weeping, and I'm like, God, I just, I don't ever want us to lose the, the focus on being, like, knowing you and loving you and being loved by you. And I, and I was just reading this whole week and, and thinking, and, and really that's just been destroying me. It's just that love that he has for us, like, and I, I was reading where he talked about loving him, and, and he kept saying the same thing over and over. It's in your Bible so many different times in different places, but like in John 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one that loves me. Like, don't read that and hear that say, like, I got to go and do the things he called me to do to prove something. Read that and hear Jesus saying, like, when you love me, Doing what I've asked you to do won't be hard. In another place, he said that, he said, he said, in my commands, I'll just read it that way, I don't screw it up. John said this, he said, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And I, was, and I thought to the conversation I had with my friend and I was thinking like, it felt so much like just to simply love the person we were talking about felt like a burden to them. Like it was hard. It was undoable. And I, I just want to really challenge us as a church to let the words of Jesus challenge us as we go into a new year and ask ourselves, like, is there any area of my life where loving him feels like a burden? Is there any area of my life where laying my life down to love somebody feels like a burden? Because if there is, it's probably an area of my life where I'm just not yielded to, not receiving, not aware of, or forgotten the love that he had for me in that place. Like if I would have a hard time forgiving the woman caught in sin, it's probably because I forgot the time that I was caught in sin and the love he showed me. And I've given myself permission to act less than loving in response. And I've forgotten the love that he had for me in that place. And as we grow as a church and as we grow as people and, and we discover, you know, our giftings and our callings and all those things, I love all those things and those things are amazing, but none of them are a substitute for loving him, being loved by him and, and loving other people the way he loved us. Like, when they said, Lord, we prophesied in your name, he didn't say, like, oh, yeah, I forgot you did that. Surely you must have loved me, and surely I must have loved you. Like, don't ever let things happening through you replace or be, like, an insulator from the fact that, like, 
those things in themselves are not proof that I'm loving and being loved by him. Like, don't let a gifting operating in you insulate you from the need you have for the love of God and to show that love to other people. Don't let, like, what other people say about you, because the truth of the matter is, is what people say about you hopefully is a true reflection of who you are, but it's not proof it's what he would say about you that matters. Because all these people that stood before him and said, we prophesied and we healed and we did these things in your name, other people that watched their lives would have said, surely these people know Jesus. Look at what's going on in their lives. And they'd say, well, Jesus said, you know them by their fruit. That's not the fruit Jesus was talking about. The fruit he's talking about is that we look like him in our love for other people and in the way that we treat and respond to other people. That's the fruit of loving and knowing Jesus, is that we become like him. Because it says when we see him, we become like him. When I see Jesus in that area of my life, I want to become like him when I find myself in that same place. I wrote this down during worship, and I just want to read it for you. And I'm sorry that I I don't have like this, you know, like last week was a pretty three-point message and polished and stuff. And I, I don't have that, but I just have this thing in my heart that I have to get out because I feel the weight of it as I as I pray into it and as I think about it. And I was, just, I, was, I was just weeping during worship. And I was just thanking him for what he's done for me. And, and this is what I felt like he said, the more I find myself wrecked and weeping because of what he's done for me, the less time I'll spend weeping because what people have done to me. I'll find myself in a place of weeping for them and asking God to use me to show them what love looks like so that they could know the love he has for them because that's the love that changes everything. Like, if our tears are for ourselves more than they're for other people, we're not experiencing his love. And I don't think it happens with an evil heart. I don't think that anyone intends, like, God, let me, let me just let this love that I have for you grow cold. I think it happens because we become focused on so many other things. It's like what Jesus said about Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. And I see that pull in my life sometimes. Like, as our church has grown, there's more expectation and there's more people that have things that they want and that they, they expect from you. And you feel this pressure to become this thing. And, and I, I've been thinking about that and just repenting and saying, God, don't ever let me get so concerned with what people ask of me that I find myself doing at the expense of being with you and loving you. Because that's what Jesus said to Martha. He didn't say, Martha, Martha, you're wicked and evil. He didn't say like, oh, Martha, you, you, you just, you don't know me. No, she knew him. She went out to him when her brother died. And she said, teacher, if, if, if you'd have been here, my brother would be alive. But even now I know that you're able. Like she knew who Jesus was. She understood the power of Jesus. But in that time when, when she found herself being pulled in all these different directions, she comes to Jesus and she's upset. And he just says, Martha, you're worried about so many things. In other words, Martha... So many things have distracted you and stole your attention that you've thought that serving me was more important than being with me. You thought that serving and doing could take the place of just sitting and being with me. But I'm telling you, your sister has chose the one thing that matters the most and it won't be taken from her because the truth of the matter is, is serving him out of anything other than an overflow of love is going to be burned up and taken from you in that day because anything that was done outside of out of love for him is never going to stand the test. 
Do you understand? This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, she chose to be with me and be loved by me and hear my voice so that she could know me. That will never be taken from her. That will never be burned up. That will stand the test of time. But these things that you did for me, that you did at the expense of being with me, that will never last. And I don't, I don't say this like scare us. I'm saying this to say like Jesus gave us a simple barometer to, to know that, that we love him and that we're being loved by him and that we're keeping ourselves in the love. Like Jude said, keep yourselves in the love of God. John 14, 15 is one of the most plain statements in the Bible. This is if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not if you love me, you'll do this, you'll do that. He just said, you'll keep my commandments. What were his commandments? His commandments were what? To love God and to love people. And so if I'm doing anything that doesn't flow from the love I have for him and the love I have for others, I'm not keeping his commandments. And I may look like I am, and I may be busy and I may have a full schedule, and I may have the praises of men, and I may have things that I could point to and say, look at the fruit. But the truth of the matter is Jesus would say, that's not what I asked of you. You don't work your way into loving him. You work from knowing how loved you are and out of the love that you have for other people because of the love he showed you. And I just want to, I want to encourage us as a church, like, This is why, like, reading the Word of God and knowing Him through His Word is so important to us. It's because when I read the Word, I see Him, and I see what love looks like. When I see the woman, did she do something wrong? I mean, I'm asking, did, did, did the woman who's caught adultery, but yeah. Yeah, it's not like this was a fake charge that was trumped up against her. They brought her and falsely accused her. No, she was caught in the act. Like, there was no denying, and she didn't even try to deny it. It's not like she said, they're lying, and they made this up to try to trick you, Jesus. No, she was genuinely caught in the act of adultery. Jesus had every right to accuse her and to condemn her, every right, but he didn't give himself that right. Why? Because he didn't come to judge, but to rescue. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. He came to show people what a loving father looked like. And then he said that that as he is, so also are we in this world. And so they bring this woman to Jesus and they throw her at Jesus' feet. And Jesus has every right to accuse her and every right to condemn her and every right to pick up. And he could have cast the first stone because he was actually the only one there without sin. He says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. In so doing, he gave himself permission to cast a stone. And then he showed us that just because I have the right to do something doesn't mean that I give myself the right. Because I'll choose love and mercy, and compassion over my need for justice. And when we read that, we should see that, and that should actually break our hearts for people who would be in the same position and cause us to want to be like Jesus in that place. 
It's not so that we know this story so we can be like, yeah, like the woman caught in adultery. Jesus could have passed. It's not about that. It's about actually being changed by what we see when we see him. We see Jesus with every right to condemn, with every right to cast stones, with every right to accuse, with every right to punish, and yet he doesn't give himself any of those rights, and he just defends her and loves her and shows her a better way and then sends her off to live differently. And, and I, 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 just, I wrote some things down that I want to read because I want to say them the way I felt like I heard them. In particular in relationships, if we're having a hard time yielding to what we know Jesus has both modeled and called us to, it's a sure sign that we love our own life or that we love ourselves more than we love him in that area of our lives. Because to see him and love him in that area would change the way that we see and love others when we find them in that same place. It's not okay for the church that claims to be following Jesus to treat people less than Jesus treated us. It's just not okay. And I don't care what we use as an excuse, what we say, what we would use to defend, how many people would agree with us. It doesn't matter because none of that will stand when we stand before him and he asks us what we did with the love that we were shown. He said, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brother, you've done to... In other words, the way we treat people is an extension of the way we see him. He sees it that way. Anytime obeying Jesus becomes a burden, especially consistently, like there may be a moment in your life where it's like it's hard in that moment to lay your life down. Right? Like, like we have those things. We, we, those things, like, like, those things will happen. Like, we have this test and we face something and it feels hard, right? Like, like, Jesus had these moments where it was like he's agonizing before the Father saying, God, if there's any other way, right? Like, it, it, it's okay that we have these moments where, like, we know what he's called us to and yet it's hard. What's not okay is for us to not do what he's called us to do because doing so seems so hard to us. Because here's Jesus with the hardest thing that's ever been asked of any person ever. Nothing that we've been called to is greater than what he was called to. Everything he's asked of us, he's already done for us. And so here's Jesus with the greatest thing ever asked of anybody who's ever walked the face of the earth, that he is going to become the sin of the world, that he's going to actually take all of the sin, all of the judgment, all of the wrath, all of the anger of God that burns towards sin. He's going to take that on in his flesh. He's going to feel what it's like to feel that. You remember what it felt like when you realized that you had fallen short of God's grace, when you had fallen short, or fallen short of God's glory and what he called you to? You remember how, like, the, the last time you willfully sinned and you realized it, or the last time you realized, like, oh my goodness, I chose something over him, that grief, that pain, that, that feeling of can't even breathe, I have to make this right that you felt? Imagine that times billions of people, and he's feeling it all in this one instance, because he's feeling it for everybody. This is what's being asked of him. We think the cross was the hardest thing. I promise you, those, those nails in the hands hurt, but nothing hurt like the pain and the shame and the guilt and the agony that he felt of becoming every single sin and for every single sinner that was ever born. And he feels this weight, and he has this moment where he's like, God, if there's any other way, like, in other words, what you're calling me to, I don't want to do in this moment. If there's any other way, let's do that. 
But nevertheless, and it, you see, it was this flawless transition. It wasn't, God, I need a few days to process through this, or a few months, or a few weeks, or a few years. There wasn't this like, okay, God, I know what you're saying, but this is how I feel, and so I'm going to just, I'm going to give myself permission to live in rebellion for a while while I work this out. There wasn't any of that. He never modeled that for us. He says, God, this is how I feel. And then he transitions very quickly to, but nevertheless, God, not what I want, but what you want be done. Not my will, but your will be done. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, there may be these moments where you realize that what he's called you to is not easy and it feels like the hardest thing that you're called to do. And in those moments, it's important that you quickly realize it's not what I want that matters. It's what you want that matters, God. And I yield myself to that. We, 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 we give ourselves permission to act so much less than Jesus and to live so much less than Jesus as if he never had to deal with and never had to go through the things that we've gone through. I've heard people say that. Well, Jesus wasn't married. He wouldn't know what that's. Are you kidding me? Jesus watched his bride choose another man over him and say, kill him and give us this other man. His bride. He watched his bride choose a murdering insurrectionist over him and say, kill him and let him live. I promise you, he knows what you're going through. And I promise you, his response was, nevertheless, God, not what I want, not what I'm feeling in this moment, be done. But what you want, be done through me. And then he tells the soldiers when they come to get him, do what you have to do quickly. He doesn't say, like, give me some time to think about this. I'm not saying we don't need time to think. I'm saying that there's some things that rather than thinking them through, we need to yield ourselves to because we see his heart and we see his desire. And Jesus said, he that loves me will keep my commands. In other words, like it's not an optional thing. Jesus didn't say, he that loves me will know my commands. He that loves me will recite my commands. He that, that, that loves me will think about and ponder my commands and, and process through my commands. He didn't say any of that stuff. He said, here's how you know that you love me. You know what I've called you to do and you yield yourself to that even when it hurts probably especially when it hurts i'm saying this not like to condemn us i'm saying like if there's an area of our lives where we're saying like god it's so hard for me to do this the truth is i probably don't haven't received his love in that area or i've forgotten what his love looked like for me when i found myself in that same place because the minute I see Jesus respond to me, how would I ever give myself permission to respond less than that to somebody else? I just want to make sure that that stays the foundation of who we are as a body of Christ, as a family of God, as a family of believers, that there's this thing where it's like, yeah, we're going to do things. Like, like I love that we're doing things with the boys' home, but it has to be out of an extension of our love for God. It can't be because we're trying to prove something by doing something so that we can say, well, look what we've done. It has to be, God, our heart is breaking that there are children over there that don't have fathers that need to know you and know what it's like to be loved. If we do it for any other reason, it's worthless for us. 
I love that, 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 that we're learning about gifts and, and, and we're talking about what it is. I think that stuff is essential. I think that when, when Paul said earnestly desire spiritual gifts, it wasn't like some suggestion for some of the church that call themselves a certain branch of Christianity. He didn't say like, let the Pentecostals or, or let the charismatic. He didn't say that. He just said earnestly desire spiritual gifts and above all that you would prophesy. Guess what? That's what he's called us to. That was the spirit of God moving through Paul to write that stuff. I think that stuff is important, and I think that that's something we should earnestly desire. But I know this, if we desire that at the expense of loving him or as a replacement for loving him, it will never last, and it will become perverted, and it will be another story of people who valued the gift over the one who gave. That has to stay the core of who we are. I, I, was, I was praying and, and pleading with God, and I'm like, God, if a church growing looks like we have to place systems in place that would keep us and insulate us from loving people, don't let our church grow. I'm, shrink it to the size it has to be where loving people is possible. Grow it as large as you want to where loving people is possible. But if it's not possible at a certain size, then shrink it to the size it has to be because loving you and loving other people is the most important thing that there is. And if we ever get to a place where we give ourselves permission to be less than loving in the name of anything, we're wrong. We're wrong. And we've now become a religious organization rather than a family of God. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, this is what's burning in my heart. It's, it's burning in me. I'm like, God, why are there so many people hurt by churches? Why are there so many people that are hurt by the church that's here to love? Like, the church should be the safest place in the world. It should be the place where people come and they're loved. And yeah, people get corrected. And yes, people get called out. And yes, people get challenged to live higher. And all that stuff is important. But it has to be because of our love for them. If we seek him for any other reason than for him, like if he's our way to something or a stepping stone to something, if he becomes the vehicle to build something, if he becomes something that we use, someone that we use to make something happen or to reach our destiny or, or to see our, our dreams fulfilled, if he becomes anything like that, we run the risk of being Judas. This is what God started talking to me about when he was talking to me about, don't, don't think this couldn't happen to you, Roy. He said, listen, G Judas was with him for three and a half years. Judas did everything that Jesus did, Judas did with him. When he sent them out two by two, one of those groups, was 50% of that group was Judas. Judas was one of the ones who came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, our, in your name. Judas would have been one of the ones who fed the multitudes with, with scraps of bread and little fish. He would have saw Jesus raise the dead. He would have seen the sick healed, the lame walk, the blind see. He would have stood, stood there and watched Jesus 
as he lovingly and tenderly dealt with people who were caught in sin. And yet, in the end, it wasn't his love for Jesus. It was what he wanted and what he thought he would get by being part of the movement that had him there. And when the realization that his dream wasn't going to be fulfilled by Jesus came to him, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. If Jesus is a means unto anything other than himself, at some point you will sell him for what it is that you want when you feel disappointed by him. So here's what I feel like the Lord's asking us. Not, not just because there's a new calendar year, and, but, but I do think there's something to that. Um, but take this time between now and the beginning of the new year. Because John said this. In, in 1 John, he's writing... And John is the one who, who, who recorded Jesus saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, my commandments. So it's not surprising that when he's writing to the church, trying to make sure that they really do love God and that they know how to gauge their love for him and that they know that they're truly in Christ. He, he has this, this, this burning desire to make sure that these people who, are, who he has been fathering and pouring into, he wants to make sure that they understand that loving him and being loved by him is the thing. When he writes to them, this is what he writes. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the, is the, is the Christ, is, that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Like, just be honest with ourselves and say, God, where is the command that you gave me to love you and to love other people, where is that hard for me in my life? Where is that a burden to me? Where does it feel like I can't do that? Where does it feel like it's a struggle or it's hard or it's a burden? And not that it's not, I'm not talking about like that you have these momentary things where it's like you know what God's called you to and you're like, oh, that seems so hard. But God, I want to love them because I want to see them know you. I'm not talking about like the momentary things. I'm not talking about Jesus in a garden saying, God, if there's any other way, let it be, be that way. But nevertheless, God, what you want be done. And I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm not talking about like a momentary thing where it's like you feel the weight of what you're called to and you wrestle with it for a moment. I'm saying if there's an area of my life where it consistently feels like it's a burden to do what he's called me to do or to be who he's called me to be, ask him to show me, God, what is it that I don't see? What is it that I've forgotten? And return to that place of seeing Jesus and seeing the love that he has for me in that place so that I can then become that and be loving towards other people in that area. Like, ask him. You probably already know. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's good like that. 
Because when he hears something like this said, he's like, he, he wants to deal with us. He's like, this is it, this is it, this is what he's talking about, this is it. Why? Because he has no intention for you to allow a place of your heart to become hardened. Because I was, I was praying about this, and, and I, I saw a picture, and I was praying this morning. I'm like, God, if there's hardened hearts. And, and you know the truth of the matter is, is that we can deceive ourselves because we can have so many areas of our lives where our heart is soft towards God, but have an area of our life that we allow to be hardened off. And if we have one area of our life that we allow our heart to become hardened, it allows the voice of the enemy to speak into every area of our life. Because the only way that we can keep our heart hardened in an area is by ignoring the voice of Jesus and listening to the voice of a stranger. Like, don't be deceived by the fact that there's so many areas of your life where you're walking in his love. If there's an area of your heart where you know that it's been hardened and you've hardened your heart towards his love. Because the only way you can keep yourself from loving people is by allowing yourself to not receive his love in that place. That's it. Because you, why? He said, because when, he said, we, we love him because he first loved us. The natural response of seeing his love is to love him in return. If there's an area of my life where I'm not loving where I'm not being loved, where I'm not walking in forgiveness and softness and humility and in gentleness, if I'm not being like Jesus is towards me, it's because I've forgotten Jesus' response to my very actions in that same place. And ask him, God, show me. Show me what it is to be loved. Show me the way that you love me. Find it in the word. Find yourself in that place where Jesus comes and see his response to you so that you see what your response to others should look like. He is our example in all things, according to Hebrews. Not some things. Not the things that everybody knows about. No, he's our example in all things. So I just want to pray for us. And I want to I just encourage us to please do this. Because if we will do this, we will see God move and we will see people come to know him. Because it's the love of God that changes things. Listen, if, if what we're doing is not an overflow of the love of God, it's worthless. So Father, I just pray that you would show us, God, our own hearts. Father, that, 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 that we, would, we would see if there's any area of our lives, God, where we've allowed anything to become more important than the love that you have for us. God, I pray that we would never get so caught up in what we're doing that we would forget the love that you have for us and the love that you've called us to show. Father, I pray that as our church grows, that we would grow in this first, the love we have for you and the love we have for others, Father. That every other bit of growth would be secondary to the one thing that matters the most, and that's that I'm growing in my love for you, that I'm falling more in love with you every single day. God, that I find you, and I seek you, and I find you, and I seek you, and I find you, and as I find you, I love you more. I experience your love for me, and that changes me, God, so that I can love people the way you've loved me. I pray, God, for soft hearts. I Ask yourself this, when's the last time I just wept over what Jesus did for me? Like literally, do I spend more of my time weeping about what's been done to me or what he did for me? What am I more aware of? Father, I pray that, that, that somehow through what I've said today, your spirit would move in our hearts, God, and call us to that place of our, just, our first love for you, Father. 
when, 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 when it was new and exciting and when we couldn't help but look at everybody through the filter of the love that we were seeing. God, that if anything has come, even good things, and it's changed the way we see, that you would rip the scales off, Father, and that we would return to seeing through the lens of the love that we see you have for us. God, I pray for this church family, and I pray for your church, God, that we would become love, Father. That 2019 would be a year, Father, where, where people would look at us and the way that we live and the way that we treat people and the way that we respond and say, there's something different about them. I don't know what it is, but they seem to really love me. Where people become hungry for you because of the love they've been shown. That your kindness would pour from us and that it was your kindness that would lead men to repentance. God, let it be through us. God, I pray that if there's any area of our lives where we've hardened our hearts to the gospel, that your love would come like oil on dry, cracked, hardened skin, and it would just pour and pour and pour and pour and soften and soften and soften. God, that we wouldn't give ourselves permission to live anything less than what you've shown us. We wouldn't give ourselves permission to respond anything less than the response you have to us. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.